All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 11 of Hip Squared, American Fantastic's pop culture podcast celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? Dude, you know where I wish I was right now? Where's that? The future. Whoa. Whoa. When you think about it, man, every passing second is like a baby step into the future. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so no. Um, or when you say the word future, the E at the end is in the future of, of the, the F, F that you're pushing out. Whoa. That's F. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it is <laughs> No, we're talking about the future a lot in this episode, though. We are. We are. We're talking... Um, Nothing takes place in the year 2019 or previous, right? Um, no. Okay. Wait. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, we're talking about Love, Death, and Robots to start us off. Oh, okay. Those yeah. are three of my... Two of my... Three well, of just your... like love. <laughs> love, I guess. Well, I don't have a lot of experience with robots in my day-to-day life. That's good. Well, I mean, give it time. Yeah. I mean, we're living I'm in the sure future now. A lot of so. the things that I use every day are made by those weird arm robots. But yeah, they pretty much are. These are probably not about the uh, manufacturing robots. Uh, it's not. Okay. Although, as somebody who works with manufacturing robots, yes, they are. Okay. Um, so, Love, Death, and Robots is a new series. I hesitate to call it a series on Netflix. It's a group of mini shows on Netflix. Each of them's anywhere from seven minutes to 22 minutes long. Are they, is it like an anthology series or are they all connected? Anthology. None okay. of them are connected at all. So it's a really cool concept. Um, there's 18 different stories. All of them are in completely different universes timelines points in the future some i think maybe in the past but it's hard to tell it's like an alternate past okay um but they all have to deal with fantasy um and they all have to deal with either love death or robots okay so that's the loose structure is that as long as one of those three elements is involved then it can be a part of the series then it can be a part of the series oh and there's one other thing um each one of the shows has a different animation style. Oh, I didn't realize they were animated. Okay, yeah. that makes me, that makes my do I want to watch this quotient double. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so Love, Death, and Robots is, again, a bunch of different stories, and I'll give you, I'll give you a taste of what, uh, how to start off. Uh, Somni's Edge is about a woman who controls robots, and in this future, people control robots, and by, oh wait, no, it's not robots, sorry. There's so many of them. They control these, like, reptilian beasts Ooh, through, like, neat. mind control, and they put them into death fights with each other. That's really cool. So, wait, they control the reptilians? Yes. Okay. So, like, so they stand on a platform, and these different monsters get into an arena, and they fight against each other. But it's really kind of like the monsters are their proxies? Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. I, there's a lot of cool UFO and extraterrestrial lore mm-hmm. with reptilians, mm. but usually the reptilians are thought of as the more powerful kinds of beings. Well, they are. See, like these these reptilians, they're like 20 to 30 feet tall. Whoa. Like they're these huge beasts that these people are controlling, okay. and they have to use their minds to control them, and they have a team that's monitoring these people's vitals to make sure that they don't die. But these beasts, these monsters that they're fighting with, they fight each other to the death. Okay. So, like, 
you'll have one monster fighting against another and it'll like cut its arm off and it's fine because it'll just keep fighting because it's whoever is still alive at the end. So, uh, Somni, uh, Somni's Edge, um, Somni's one of the characters in it and she's the one that we follow throughout the story. And in the story, she's a fighter. She wins her bout. Well, she's asked if she wants to throw her bout. And she says, screw you. I'm going to go fight anyway. So she fight, wins her bout. And then that puts her on the wrong side if whoever asked her to throw it in the first place. Right. And these stories, and this is one of the best things about it. These stories are so, so short. I've told you like half to three quarters of the story already. Um, if, do you remember the old show? I think it was called Robot Wars. Yes. Because it, it just reminds me of Sony's Edge a little bit because it was kind of like people would make their own homemade robots that would fight each other with saw blades. And like, right. Yeah. Well, think like that, but in this particular story, instead of it being like robots, it's these giant lizards. giant creatures that probably have feelings, but we don't really care because we're sending them to an arena yeah. to kill each other. That is cool. It's neat because it's a new twist on that gladiatorial mm-hmm. um, combat, but it's also like you can see the relations to the real world because it's kind of like uh, when you watch NFL football or you know people are really physically doing damage to their bodies, but it's so entertaining that you still want to watch it. Right, and it's so that's just one example, and it's a very um, it's a very solid animation style. It's like almost similar to like really good CGI, real life. Some um, like if you if you keep an eye on it, there's some differences. There's some exaggerated features to characters, so it's not truly like it's not truly just CGI creatures in the background. So is it? It's not live action plus CGI. It's just a really good kind of. I think of... it's just really good CGI. Okay, that's neat. So like that's so that's one. Okay, got that. That's in mm-hmm. the future. It's like a super dark future. That's one story. There's another story called When Yogurt Took Over. <laughs> And it sounds a little more irreverent. It's this like cell shaded, um, like almost like claymation cell shaded style okay. uh, animation, and it tells the story about how scientists were able to make yogurt sentient. Oh God! And it took over the world. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine if you look down the street and there's this fifty foot wave of yogurt just slowly coming towards you? And... Well, that's the thing. Oh, it has the and this one has such a cool story because like they start you off with that. It's like I'm here to tell you about the story when the yogurt took over, and you go, wait, what? How's this? Like, how do they even do this? And it goes through it. It's that the yogurt they had made it super intelligent yogurt. And it was able to, like, predict the future and create these scientific advancements uh, that it would only give to people if they did what they what they wanted to. And eventually they got into the political spectrum. It told I – think, I think the turning point in it is, like, we will give you the solution to wor- – it's either world hunger or how to cure cancer. All you need to give us is Ohio. <laughs> that's funny and and they're like what that's it it's like yes you just need to give us ohio so like okay so they give away ohio it's a slippery slope man <laughs> <laughs> and from there like they build up this utopia in ohio where all the people are under the yogurt's domain dude it is a hilarious a story but yeah. that's the that's part of the cool thing about love death and robots is you never know where these stories are going to go um you can have something like really funny like that you can have something just um crazy depressing like um i'm looking for shapeshifters which is about this um which is about war in um the middle east and these um 
American troops that have been tr brought over, but they've modified some of these troops so that they're essentially werewolves. They have heightened uh, sense of smell. They have heightened uh, recovery abilities. They have heightened strength. And they end up, uh, one of them ends up getting killed by what looks like another werewolf. So his his friend and his other member in the pack goes out and hunts them down. Yeah, it's kind of like a variation on the super soldier theme, but it also sounds like it connects a lot of dots to things like... Um... And I like contemporary warfare, like people dealing with PTSD or people having to kind of become dehumanized in order to kill. Right. And like, this, so the, I, I can go into detail on all 18 of these. There's really no point. There, there's shows that you just kind of need to watch. I'm just trying to get you, like, you should watch so them. So when people, or at least when you've watched them, mm -hmm. do you usually watch three or four in a row? Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you can watch like... You can probably watch four to five in a row, and it'll be the length of a one-hour episode. Yeah. If you're like right going to bed and you need to, you want to watch something before you go to bed. It's kind of a risk. You're really yeah. rolling the dice if you're going to have nightmares. Yeah. Because that's the thing that I would have trouble with is the last one I watched was too much of a bummer. Mm -hmm. I would want to watch something else to kind of cleanse the palate. <laughs> right. And that's the that's another really cool thing about it. It's a cool thing, and it's an annoying. It's like one of those like ah. Um, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. It's just like you don't know what you're going to get. Well, I guess part of it is that there is such a wide variety of tone that that, that can be a good way thing in a lot of ways because you don't always know what to expect. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain anthology shows like Black Mirror especially mm -hmm. where I'm almost certain at the beginning of the episode it's going to be a bummer. I mean, yeah. But it will be a fascinating, neat look at a certain perspective about technology. But I'm... I'm not expected to be like, <laughs> I can't believe, whoa, those crazy kids. You know, it's like, it's not going to leave you with that feeling. It's more like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, so Love, Death, and Robots is one of those uh, uh, that you can get that. Like, you can get the bummer ones. There are also some that are hilarious and really uplifting. And also, uh, before I go too much further, I should mention, if you have kids, do not watch them, watch with them when this is on. Uh, it is mature content. There mm -hmm. is all of the, there is gore, boobs, uh, profanity, all that other stuff. So uh, not a family-friendly show. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple episodes that probably are family-friendly. You would need to know what they are ahead of time. You can never really, you can never really tell. Yeah. Um, the show itself covers a lot of really interesting areas and covers kind of a lot of the other the tropes that you want to see in sci-fi there's the um there's one where uh somebody goes into a normal space uh space trip to outer space and something happens and they're stuck at the edge of space and what do, what do they do okay um there's one where um there's a ship that they the pilot controls and it always happens to be lucky for them uh, except for this one time when it's not there's uh there's one the so the first episode that i watched was this epi episode called zima blue okay which i have to talk about because zima was... blue so so when i think of zima they're in the 90s you're probably too young to remember this almost certainly but there was a clear malt beverage that was it's called Zima, and it's like and it was always like Zima, something different, <laughs> and it became associated with gay subculture. That's hilarious. But it's it's almost like a a version I think of a Smirnoff Ice. Anyway, okay, Zima Blue, probably not an alcoholic beverage in this different world. one. Well, so that's the whole thing is that it starts off with this character um, 
who's this artist by the name of Zima, and he creates these huge pieces of art that are of the cosmos, and like mm-hmm. these like you just stare at them, and they have these these all these amazing features and all this detail in it, and you go, how did he create this? And then uh, throughout the uh, throughout this, he cre- keeps creating more pieces of art, and then one of them, there's a single dot at the center of it that's this light blue. And it's just different. It's it stands out, and there's a light blue at the and center. Does that represent the Earth? And then the next, and then the next one, the light blue dot gets just a little bit bigger, so it's a small square, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until um, it's the entire canvas. It's just this blue, just this light blue that's Zima blue, and like where he goes with that, he creates these other art, uh, artistic um, idea, uh, these other artistic steps where instead of just like creating more space outside of it he just makes this blue and and like it gets comical to the point that it's you you see earth and he's got this frame that is like half the height of earth (laughs) that's going out into space and it's all this zima blue and how that color impacts the character Zima okay. is is the big part of the story. And that sounds neat. It's, it almost sounds like it's putting a little bit of commentary on contemporary art. I mean, like I, the, the grand scale of some kind of art pieces. Part of it is. And the other part of it is, um, and I kind of want to spoil this one because it's so interesting. Um, part of it is about AI and how we treat them as sentient ideas because essentially i'm gonna spoil it here because i want to so bad um zima was created from originally a pool cleaning robot okay that they added advancements on it slowly and slowly until it created became a sentient ai but at at its beginning it was a pool cleaning robot and that blue Mm -hmm. is the tile that was on the pool that it cleaned (laughs) and so so it was its first sight was that zima blue yeah neat that's a really neat kind of um examination of because this entire time you're describing Zima, i pictured him as some sort of eccentric artist and he is well oh so that's another thing that i can get into but like they start with he was a human and then he started adding these modifications to his body and that's another big theme through the whole show is adding modifications to the yeah. body and he eventually becomes this it's, like robotic it's person cool that you got to the robot part because that's kind of what i was going to ask next was I hadn't heard any robot-specific stories oh, that I, I didn't know. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know if I had not heard that part or if you just hadn't said it yet. But that's neat um, that it touches on those themes. Yeah, I really that AI question really gets to me too because I kind of think that when or if AI can get to the point where they have emotions, then they have souls, and we'd have to treat them as humans or citizens we'd have to or how how you how do you treat something with a soul or if there was some bloody revolution where they killed us all then you kind of think well we deserved it if we treated them like (laughs) slaves or we treated them anyway but that's cool that they grapple with those kinds of questions it's very philosophical and Mm -hmm. and they do put push to some of those philosophical questions but cool series check it out love death and robots again don't watch it with your kids i definitely (laughs) want to check it out i like short episodes because sometimes that's all I have at the end of a night is mm-hmm. a half an hour to watch something and knowing that I could experience a couple and I probably sometimes would hedge my bets and be like oh that was a good one to end on yeah <laughs> good call and yeah. and a lot of them are and I'll go a little over a lot of them are pretty positive there's okay. only a I'd say less than half are downers okay so good good ratio half and half mm-hmm. well, next we're going to uh 
going to space, the final frontier. As opposed to where we were before? Yeah, well, <laughs> a different dimension of space. Um, so I'm going to talk about a Star Trek The Next Generation book. Ooh. Uh, a lot of people have experienced Star Trek The Next Generation either as a TV show, maybe it was kind of something a little cheesy that your dad watched when you were a kid, or maybe you've grown up with it and been a really hardcore fan most of your life. Um, I will say as my own self, I didn't get into Star Trek until I was an adult. I really loved Star Wars as a kid, and I know there's sort of that arbitrary dividing line between the two series. They both have Star in the title. They're both the predominant, I would say, long-running sci-fi franchises in America, at least. Um, But what I like about this book specifically, so this one's called Section 31, uh, and it's also subtitled Rogue. It's by two authors, Andy Mangles and Michael A. Martin. And it's about a covert intelligence unit within the Federation that bends and breaks the rules when it has to to serve the interests of the Federation. Okay, which kind of stands against uh, the Federation's ideas of we have these we have these ideolo- ideologies that we have to hold to, like the Prime Directive and um, everything. Like, we do things for others, like nothing's for yeah, ourselves. Everything is for the greater good, and we have right. these really strong ideals. And if you're not up to speed on Star Trek, if it's not really your thing, there's a few kind of basic aspects of the franchise that I'll explain quickly. So (laughs) the Federation is kind of like what you would consider the good guys. Mm -hmm. Um, The Enterprise is is the flagship of the Federation, and they explore space, they go on missions, they help people, they practice diplomacy. Um, And the Federation itself is kind of like this utopian vision of the future where there's a few different alien species that have come together and they kind of try to spread peace and harmony through the universe. It's what the Empire was trying to do in Star Wars. Exactly. Wait. Well, (laughs) yeah, and and that's kind of an interesting thing that that kind of plays into it because in, in the Prime Directive that Troy mentioned is this idea where you do not interfere either positively or negatively and a civilization that you discover that hasn't already developed to the point where they're kind of on equal terms with you. Right. And so um, what Section 31 is about specifically is the Enterprise. And um, to relate this to the TV show, because there was an original Star Trek with Bill Shatner, William Shatner, <laughs> and uh, Leonard Nimoy as Spock, and that's kind of like the classic version. Mm-hmm. The Next Generation actually ran for a much longer time, and this is in the 80s and the 90s. So you have Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard, and um, you had Jordi LaForge, who's played by LeVar Burton, who was also from uh, the Reading Rainbow. Roots and, and Reading Rainbow. Yeah. Um, and so, you, so what the book does is it takes those characters um, from a TV show that could be really entertaining, compelling, also kind of cheesy, didn't always have the highest production values, but mm-hmm. uh, it was entertaining. And if it was your kind of genre, the thing you enjoyed, it was good. And it's and, and then this series held with a happy-go-lucky ideas of space. Exactly. As opposed to some of the later Star Wars series, which get a bit darker. Yeah, some of the later Star Trek, Star Trek, it's Trek. okay, Troy. I, I, I made that same mistake when I was talking to Kelly about it. She's like, oh, you better watch out. But... Um, <laughs> Those are all slips of the tongue, so nothing personal. <laughs> um, but what a book does, 
it does a few things that the TV show can't. So part of it is it just tells a longer arc of a story. So it's not something that can be tidally summed up in um, 45 minutes. It's So the, the Enterprise is called out to this planet called Kairos 4. And Kairos 4 is about to hold an election where they're going to decide to either join the Federation or become part of the Romulan Star Empire. Mm. And the Romulans are... They're not hardcore evil or anything like that, but they're an opposing power in the galaxy that the Federation and the Enterprise often come up against. Um, part of what's funny about Star Trek is a lot of their races are just different shapes of foreheads. <laughs> so if you want to think of the Romulans, they have these really, like, they're kind of these bones that jut out above where their eyebrows are. Right. And if you can think of a Spock from the original Star Trek, he's a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And the Vulcans and the Romulans have the same root ancestor. But whereas the uh, Vulcans, like Spock, are very emotionally cold and stoic, the Romulans are much more passionate and about embracing um, that side of themselves. Feelings. Uh, wasn't there a is there a Romulan per, um, person on the Enterprise? Like I not thought on there was a Next Generation. Well, there might be people that are bit players, or there might be future series that had a Romulan as a main character. Okay, who's the one that has a bunch of ridges on their head? That's so Worf is a Klingon. Klingon, thank and you. And they're okay. kind of like a warlike okay. species that also often um, tangles with the Federation. But yes, well, because the Klingons were the enemy, quote enemy, and um, uh, the first series. The first series, yeah. And, and then the Romulans become the enemy. Okay, exactly. And that's kind of what's neat about Star Trek is so that parallels like the racial unity because in the first Star Trek you had George Takei, who was Mister Sulu. You had a Uhuru, Uhuru, who was a black woman, and they were mm-hmm. all. Um, on the same deck as... Um, equals. Yeah, is equals. And so in Star Trek, that's kind of mirrored by all these different alien races coming together and being able to work together for the greater good. So Kairos for... Um, what you soon figure out is that there is a diplomat on uh, the mission who... So on the surface, they're supposed to influence the people, or at least attempt to help them uh, want to join the Federation. But he has already made a deal with uh, Romulan to, in exchange for a list of Romulan spies within the Federation, let the Romulans have Kairos 4 because it's also in this kind of like backwoods area of space. Hmm. There's no inherent strategic value. Um, but if the... Kairos 4 didn't go with the Federation. It would just be like a little bit more space would belong to the Romulans. Sure. But of course, um, it's all kind of... The more you get into it, the more shady things start to happen. Like you learn that the people who want to join the Federation on Kairos 4, like the dominant political force, has also committed atrocities and genocides against the rebels. And a lot of the rebels want to join the Romulans because they just want to do whatever the the ruling powers don't, don't want, to want to do. do. They think that the Romulans can help them overthrow the the status quo. And so, what happens is that the Enterprise gets embroiled in this deep conflict because um, there's another starship. And this is at the very beginning of the book. I'm also giving spoilers for this for a lot of it because I don't think a, it's kind of an obscure. It came out in 2001, so it's it's relatively obscure. If you think this is something that you want to read without spoilers, I would recommend stopping the episode <laughs> now, read the whole book, it's really good, and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. But um, 
So the mo- so the more that happens, you kind of see that there's there's like a lot of compromised morals on each side. There is a Federation spaceship that gets exploded, um, kind of on the same scale as the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, a lot of and like people kind of betraying their friends, or I don't know. It's a lot of dark spy craft plot to it. But that's a big part of Star Trek in general is the is the whole we can look at these ideas of like espionage, um, uh, interdiplomatic conversations in the sense of a space world so it's not that serious to yeah. us and we can kind of laugh it off. Exactly. And, and, and one of the big strengths too is that you sort of draw parallels to your own world. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something I strive to do a lot with my own writing. I call it middle brow, where you're not doing completely low brow, which would just be kind of like blood, guts, cool alien space babes. But it's also not high brow, which would be like very literary, kind of like um, where you would have to be either educated or, I don't know. 18th century <laughs> writing. Exactly. <laughs> but middle brow to me means that you're telling an entertaining story, but then you're also developing rich themes within it mm-hmm. and one of the neat ones with this one is it to me it parallels a lot of what the united states government and the cia did with coups and overthrowing governments during the cold war sometimes we allied ourselves with really um like harsh dictators just so that they wouldn't go with the russians kind of thing right and that's kind of what a lot of this feels like to me because there is no clear good guy or bad guy in a lot of it but there are at least behaviors that you can see as immoral. So does it pull, because you say there's no good guys and bad guys. Clearly we have the Enterprise who's the good guys, and then we have, is everyone else the bad guys? Well, and... no, not everybody else is the bad guys. There's So um, the people on the Federation, so Corey Zweller is the main um, person who, he is captured by the people on Kairos 4 when the like a shuttle goes down. Like, a, Well, they're diplomatic mission kind of goes to hell and he sort of convinces um the rebels to that he's helping them but then at the same time he's also like he has to basically convince the federation that he was just doing that as a means of survival and but then of course he's also doing it because he wants to like influence the election so the romulans win and i don't know it's it's neat in that way but what's cool yes so the characters from the Enterprise that are the most heavily featured, of course, Picard. Uh, Patrick Stewart's face is the cover of the book in black and white shadow. Um, Data isn't in a lot. Okay. There's a really neat scene later on in the book where so you eventually find out the reason that the Romulans want this is because there is a, it's called a subspace irregularity. I don't know. There's some kind of cool name for it. But basically, there's like it's like subspace. It's kind of reminded me of antimatter, but it's almost like a tiny black hole that the Romulans could use as this immense energy force. And then oh. if they had control over it, it would kind of be like a super weapon. Well, what the Enterprise does is they part of I think Corey Zweller wants the, the one of the shady people wants to kind of use it for the Federation, like help them get control of it. But Picard just decides it's too dangerous. They have to destroy it. So there's this really neat section where Data is fighting against the Romulan AI, which is really cool because also one of the chapters is told from the, the AI's perspective. Um, and there's also a few. So other than Corey Zweller, there's another n- new character called Lieutenant Hawk. He's younger. He pilots some of the shuttlecraft that they fly on. He also has a photographic memory, and that's part of the reason he's recruited by Section 31, which is like this shady kind of group. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he also is gay in the book. Well, he's just a gay character, I should sure. say. But it's neat because this is written in the early 2000s. One of the authors himself is gay. And so that's just completed, treated as completely normal. Like nobody raises an eyebrow above mm-hmm. it. But he has a, a male lover. And they um, and that's that's kind of a neat dimension to it. And um, the other thing I'll say, too, that it can do that the books can is it really um, – there's a lot more action in it, I felt like, than an episode of Star Trek. Okay. And there are some of the kind of, like, cheesier moments where in Star Trek, if the ship gets hit, they all, like, lurch to one side. Nice. And that does happen in the book, but it's almost like a wink and a nod. Is that one, even one of those things that happens in the TV show? It happens a lot. Oh. Uh, so I've watched, like, the first, like, three or four episodes, uh, and I, ha- I don't think I've uh, noticed it. Start, that'll start to happen. Um, okay. There's also a lot of the trademark phrases, like, that make it so, and stuff like that. Oh, yes. As he does. Um... And as I wrap this up, one last thing I wanted to talk about was the cool world building that takes place. Mm-hmm. So Kairos for the the planet that they're all fighting for, it wrote it revolves around its star at the same rate that it rotates. So it's kind of like the moon that has a the bright side and a dark side. Yeah. Sure. So half of Kairos four is just a baking hellscape. Mm-hmm. And then half of it is this dark frozen night frozen. Tundra. But everybody that lives and survives in this world lives in this twilight band because huh. all the way around the world that's really and, clever and that's one of the things that why there is so much conflict and there is um competing resources is because there's really only so much of this world that um that can be explored so if that sounds cool if you if you're into sci-fi or if you're into kind of like covert ops and spycraft stuff i definitely would recommend uh section 31 and it has inspired me to read i'm not going to keep reading star trek novels the reason i got this because it was a dollar on sale at the library like there a, it is yeah yeah cheap paperback but um there's also one called star trek x-men planet x oh god it is an official <laughs> authorized crossover novel by michael jan freeman it came out in the 90s this was before um, this the modern X-Men movie started coming out. But if you think about it, if they ever made a movie about this, you could imagine Patrick Stewart playing both roles. Um, <laughs> I was just getting to that, too. Yeah. And, like, oh. and if and when I read that, I might report back uh, on it on another episode of Hip Square. But if, uh, if, if that sounds cool to you and you would rather read that one instead, um, I haven't read it myself. It's gotten kind of like a... A good but not great uh, critical response on the internet, but to me, it's such a cool premise. It's like, come on, <laughs> that sounds really neat, and I definitely want to check it out. I love the idea of like characters or actors that they've used as certain characters, and then like they can't use them anywhere else in the universe exactly. because they're this this person. Like my personal favorite is they can't use Daniel uh, Donald Glover anywhere else in the Marvel universe because he was that one random ass character yeah. that Spider Man met in Spider Man. Uh, Homecoming. Uh, homecoming yeah <laughs> or they could make it some like weird goofy like bump into each other's like huh you look familiar but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is neat yeah it's it it just cool like i think it's neat that they even managed to somehow get those two gigantic properties to have those authorized um crossover uh, i'm sure it's one of those like you want to do this eh, it'll yeah, be fun <laughs> exactly and because it happened as like a paperback novel and not like a movie or something huge right um well we do want to um, bring it back to the present for at least a little bit, and thank you all for listening. Uh, it means a lot to us that we have ears out there and uh, people that are interested in what we have to say. Uh, thank you so much. If you'd like to check out more audio content, you can do that at AmericanFantastic.com. All the old episodes of the American Fantastic Radio Hour are there. You can also download or stream episodes of Hip Squared. Uh, follow us on Google Podcasts or iTunes if you don't want to worry about missing an episode. Uh, We'd also love any reviews that come up from there. 
Um, this episode will probably come out after the spring update's been posted. Hmm. You can check out some cool photography by my little brother, Caleb Beecham. I'm uh, going to have some new art there by Jack Scally. A lot of cool content to um, get into. We were produced today by our good friend, Mayplex Monk. <laughs> if you'd like to check out more of what Mayplex does, you can do that at mayplexmonk.com. Uh, we also want to thank Dano Songs for our intro and outro music. If you'd like some royalty-free music for your project, check out danosongs.com. Uh, you can also help us specifically by liking and sharing us on social media. You can like American Fantastic on Facebook. You can also support us on Patreon. Uh, membership for American Fantastic starts out at as little as a dollar a month, and anything helps. Um, and definitely tell your friends about us. Uh, let people know about us. And uh, we also would love any feedback that you guys have for us. So you can, uh, I always post on the American Fantastic Facebook face page when an episode comes out. So you can leave us a comment. You can email us at AmericanFantastic at gmail.com. Or if you just know Troy or I as human beings or, or Mapleex, a.k.a. Maple, you can uh, let one of us know what you think about the show as well. Yeah, just come up to us say, hey, that show was great. And we'll go, hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, but yeah, it's cool to know that people were not just screaming into a void and then, uh, yeah, that people are out there listening are, and aren't we all screaming into the void? That kind of seems like the point of this podcast. A little bit, a little bit. Like this one in particular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Space and stuff. <laughs> um, well, thank you all. Uh, one last time. Troy, is there anything else I forgot? Nah, I think we got it all. All right. Uh, we'll see y'all next time. Toodles. To- toodles.